Welcome to the Ultimate Supplier Management Podcast from Apex Analytics. This podcast is an audio version of a recent webinar we did with IOFM and General Mills. It features Jeff Heinrich, Senior Global Process Specialist of Accounts Payable and Expense Reporting at General Mills, and Phil Bean, Senior Vice President of Global Field Operations here at Apex Analytics. Jeff is going to walk through his four-step process of identifying duplicate payments and statement credits, and there's a great Q&A session at the end of the podcast. Since it was a webinar, there are slides that you can download in the episode notes, and with that, I'll hand it off. Enjoy the show. Change is a disruptor within AP. I mean, that is a fact. Generally speaking, change will lead to gaps within your processes, which could lead to overpayments, which could potentially lead to a loss in working capital. Now, the good news is that there's something you can do, which is actually leveraging an AP recovery audit to help with uncovering those gaps that occur through change and returning potential lost working capital. things off with just talking about how an AP organization can actually leverage a recovery audit to help them through times of adversity. I think we'd all agree that that one of the biggest impacts to an AP organization is change. And change can take many different forms. Change can be in the form of personnel, so folks coming and going, pieces of business being outsourced, offshore, onshore, There could be system changes, and so it's probably fair to say we've all gone through ERP upgrades or system migrations. There can be change in processes, and then there can be changes that we really don't control, and I'll call those uncontrollable changes, the biggest one right now being COVID-19. Change is a disruptor within AP. I mean, that is a fact. Generally speaking, change will lead to gaps within your processes, which could lead to overpayments, which could potentially lead to a loss in working capital. Now, the good news is that there's something you can do, which is actually leveraging an AP recovery audit to help with uncovering those gaps that occur through change and returning potential lost working capital. Since COVID-19 is the biggest impact, and and it's going to be a a lot about what we talk about today, I thought it'd be beneficial to actually share some examples of how COVID-19 has impacted AP's operation. And this is through the lens of recovery audit. So things that we've seen, more prepayments, and, and so probably not a surprise for those on the call, suppliers requiring that before goods and services are, are provided, that prepayments must be made overriding controls to pay critical time sensitive suppliers. Just think of immediate pay. And so suppliers, in order to not disrupt the supply chain, are requiring that companies pay them immediately and basically circumventing terms that may exist. Bypassing supplier setup, you know, certainly a lot of risk in that, using a lot of of one-time vendor functionality. Just the sheer logistics of working from home and how that's impacted processes and approvals and controls. A couple more that aren't on here, but that we've seen more and more of recently is bankruptcy. So it's been in the news over the last three or four months, more and more suppliers are going bankrupt. And then misapplication of credits, 
you know, suppliers inadvertently just applying credits that belong to companies against applying those to other invoices certainly creates a reconciliation and lead to overpayments. If I had to summarize this, I'd say change is absolutely a disruptor. It always has been a disruptor. COVID-19 right now is by far the biggest change that we're all currently experiencing. So I'm going to now turn over to Jeff and and let him talk about his journey uh, and the recovery audit and and what General Mills is doing to combat COVID-19. We are in charge of making food the world loves. And as Phil said about change, this is a change for us. Our slogan used to be making food people love, and now it's making food the world loves to represent the fact that General Mills has moved to being much more of a global company over the last 15 to 20 years. And as many of you may be aware, we did purchase Blue Buffalo Pet Food a couple years ago. So it's not only making food that people love, but we are now making food that pets love as well. And so here's just a history of 150 years of General Mills making food uh, that people love. What isn't here is some of the history of General Mills outside of food. One of the things that many on the call may not be aware, but General Mills actually used to make submarines, kind of the small one or two person submarines. And actually the prototype that General Mills made back in 1962 for the U.S. military was called Alvin, and that actually is the submersible that was used to first view the Titanic. They also used to own Darden Restaurants, which, though it is food, is more in that restaurant space. And, you know, Olive Garden used to be Red Lobster, but they've spun Red Lobster off. But General Mills used to own those and spun those off in 1995. And then General Mills also used to be a toy manufacturer. So we used to own Rainbow Crafts, who were the makers of Play-Doh. We also used to own Parker Brothers, you know, the board game company that we all know is famous for coming up with Monopoly. And General Mills divested that toy business back in the mid-1980s. And kind of that last kind of area that General Mills played in that we divested back in the late 90s was General Mills actually used to be in retail clothing. General Mills used to own Talbots and Eddie Bauer and got rid of those brands in 1988 as we shift our focus in the 1990s towards food only. So now General Mills today, in our fiscal 2020, our net sales were approaching $18 billion per year. Um, We have eight brands that are each generating over a billion dollars a year in annual retail sales. As I talked about our move internationally, we are now in over 100 markets around the world. And we have an employee base spread out around the world of 38,000 employees, trying to make sure that we are always bringing to bear that making food the world loves. And so this is a kind of a, just a list of brands. General Mills historically has always focused on the brand. So when you see advertising for the most part for General Mills products, you'll see one of these brands advertised. You will very rarely see General Mills listed. So as a result of that, many people do not realize what that the brand they're buying is even made by General Mills. So this just kind of gives you a flavor of all the different brands that General Mills owns at this time. So I wanted to share here what we share externally for our fiscal priorities is to compete effectively everywhere in all geographies and in all the different brands and categories that we play in. 
The second priority is to fuel our investments through efficiency. And then the third is to reduce our leverage from our purchase of Blue Buffalo a couple of years ago. And what you're going to see as we go through kind of the audit and the audit result is the recovery audit does play a part in supporting these priorities. The funds that we recover in this audit are funds that were gone. They had left the company when they shouldn't have, and us bringing them back into the company does serve to support these three. It's AP kind of playing its part to try to be efficient and drive these priorities. I think we have the fun part. When was Lucky Charms introduced to the market? A, during the Great Depression, B, 1958, C, 1964, or D, 1944. And so hopefully the quiz has popped up for you to provide your guess, and we'll see what people come up with. Just a few kind of Lucky Charm fun facts. Not very known that there is actually a time briefly in the history of Lucky Charms where Lucky the Leprechaun was actually impeached from the mascot office. I am not going to say the year it happened because that might give away the answer to the question. But there was a brief time where General Mills replaced Lucky with Waldo the Wizard. And he was a sorcerer who misplaced his Lucky Charms and used the weird catchphrase that I can't even pronounce, so I'm not going to try. But they really, really tried Waldo the Wizard in the Northeast, and the big test market was Boston, and basically people said, nah, we don't get this, and Waldo was removed from office pretty much within a year. Another quick little fun fact, the odds of you getting a four-leaf clover in Lucky Charms is only one in 10,000 chance that you will find a 40th clover. Do we get the results? The results are 13% chose A, 34% chose B, 31% chose C, and 16% chose D. So most folks seem to think it was 1958. Well, and the winners are those who pick C, 1964. So kind of wanted to walk you through what our process is for identifying duplicates and going through our credit review, our statement recovery audit. General Mills, we process around 3 million invoices per year for a spend of about 13 to $14 billion. We do do kind of a three-step process on duplicates. We do have rules built into SAP and also through our VIM workflow that do do a check for certain, you know, obvious duplicate items, like is it the same invoice number with the same vendor? Do we have a invoice with the same date and same amount for the same vendor? Kind of some of those standard obvious duplicate items. Then we also do a secondary duplicate review that happens generally before payments are made where it's more of an Excel macro run by our AP team, where they look for kind of that next level of duplicates that are harder to find in SAP. Sometimes it's a trailing digit. Sometimes it's the company entered in leading zeros. The SAP doesn't look, but they were entered in by an indexer or our online e-invoicing portal. So they do kind of a secondary duplicate review prior to payments going out. But then we still say, okay, that's great. We've done that. 
but we still feel like there's the benefits of doing even one further review to see if anything's through that. So that's where the external reviews come with Apex Analytics. We use Apex, we run our duplicate, our audit, we provide them with our SAP data for a fiscal year. They send it through their first strike system, which Phil will talk a little bit more about. That will then feed a review by Apex to look to see if there's any duplicate payments that have slipped through the cracks of our internal controls and will then recover those duplicates from the vendors. The last part of the review that we put in place with Apex is a continuous statement review. And this has really been where we've seen the majority of our benefit on doing this third-party recovery audit. And we do do some review internally of credits. It generally tends to be those credits that we're aware of, either credits that are in a vendor's file that have aged because the vendor hasn't invoiced us. So that's really kind of our internal part. And where the third-party audit really comes into play, we say that what is that stuff that you don't know about in AP? Where are those times, as Phil mentioned, where you've made a prepayment, but you didn't spend that full prepayment with the vendor, and you have a credit sitting on their books, but your marketing team hasn't told you that we have a credit with that vendor, so AP never puts it in the AP system to process for, for that vendor? Where have you potentially paid out on a, had a re product return and somebody didn't do the right credit process at the plant, and so you've got a credit balance sitting at a materials vendor or any kind of product vendor you're dealing with, and so you don't know in AP that you were supposed to process the credit. That's where we've seen a lot of benefit through the third-party external yeah, Jeff, and yeah, I mean, congratulations, man. You, you all at General Mills are, are certainly following best practices. You mentioned First Strike, just you know, real quick for for those not familiar. First Strike is our internal software that that we use. It has the ability to ingest data from, in, in General Mills' case, SAP, but it could be SAP or many different ERPs. And we run through a series of algorithms identifying duplicate payments, really focused on those things that typical ERP systems would let pass through. The beauty of First Strike is not only we use it internally, which means, you know, we've got many folks using it every single day, constantly enhancing it, but our clients can also choose to take that ne next step forward and actually use First Strike on a daily basis. So we also get the benefit of not only our internal associates enhancing First Strike, but also our clients recommending ways that we can improve the tool. So anyway, I just wanted to share a little bit about First Strike. And Jeff, you talk about your statement review, and, and you talk about it in the it's a continuous statement review. So what was the driver behind General Mills choosing to follow a continuous statement review versus, well, we'll do it one year, take a year off? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, we had kind of done statement reviews internally, but it wasn't on a consistent basis. It would be one of those things that we'd say we'd want to do it every 90 days, but then it'd be a question of whether the resources were available, were there other priorities at that time. So it really wasn't consistently done. I think also when we first did our first statement audit with Apex, and very quickly we had a very large consumer sampling contract where the contract had been signed for, I think it was between about three quarters of a million or a million dollars, and really only half of it was spent. 
so it turned out that we actually got Apex was able to find about a three to three hundred and fifty thousand dollar recovery for us really early in our first audit, and it was probably about a year to a year and a half old contract. So it kind of led us to realize that hey, you know, having Apex continually doing that statement review would allow us to locate these recoveries that we weren't aware of faster than if we were just doing it on a periodic basis. Uh, statement audits, you can do them internally or externally with a third party. For two reasons, we've kind of chosen to do that with a third party. One is really kind of to maintain the AP team's focus on our controls and on customer service and the processes that they're supposed to be managing. And then also to leverage kind of the breadth, in our case, it's Apex Analytics customer base, but it could be any part. It's really that contact list of somebody who's looking at these recoveries across not just General Mills, but is doing it for other large companies as well. So they have the contacts at all these different suppliers that we're working with, whereas we just may not have that internal contact to really work closely with the recovery. So we've made that decision that it makes sense to also that to a third party. So let's talk a little bit about the results that we've seen with Apex. You know, we moved to Apex. We were kind of seeing our third party that we were using before Apex was a little stagnant. We were pretty much seeing the same annual amount being recovered, and we kind of felt like, hey, it was probably time to have a new set of eyes to take a look at the recovery process for us. And so Apex started using First Strike and the recovery, um, the statement audit for us. You know, payment accuracy was definitely discovered that, you know, we really weren't seeing a lot of payments sliding through our system from an AP perspective, I mean, 99.98%. My manager and I, we've often talked about we probably need to get that number out in front of our internal customers at General Mills more to say, hey, before you complain about accounts payable and look at our accuracy, I know you are tired of approving invoices and going through to pay matches and wonder why we have to go through all this internal controls to get a payment out, but when your accuracy is 99.98, it's kind of hard to argue. Where we have seen, again, a much bigger return of our 2.2 million is really in that statement credits. And you can see that almost you know, 1.8 million out of 2.1 or 2.2 million came from the statement credits, and then another 400,000 from duplicate payments. And I would say that even those duplicate payments there tended to be duplicate payments where the vendor had actually invoiced us twice, as opposed to we got an invoice and paid it twice. It was usually like a different invoice number where it was more about an approver at General Mills not recognizing that they had invoiced them for the same service twice. But the number of duplicates that we're seeing from the exact same invoice being paid is only about 12 payments a year. Out of, you know, you saw the number of 3 million invoices. We probably sent out a million and a half payments a year. And so only duplicate 12 is a... We're pretty proud of that number. You said it, you know, 99.9821% of the time you do it right, which is fantastic. You know, what our role in, in a recovery audit is really to go find kind of that needle in the haystack, to, to go find the things that, that your team just, they're not equipped to go find. And it's interesting, you know, even though you're 99.9% .9 accurate, that still uh, on an annual basis, or at least for the last one, 
you know, you were able to drive over $2 million back and, and really working capital back to General Mills. So it's just kind of a testament to, although you're doing it right almost every single time, you know, when you're dealing with such large volume and spend, the hundredth of a percent, it adds up. So kudos to you for, for what you guys are doing. Many of you may be asking kind of how much time does the audit take? And really for the general mill side of this, it's maybe an hour per week for the team. Um, they have a couple meetings each week or one meeting each week, a half hour meeting with the Apex operations team to just go over the status of open credits or if there's new credits to review. And then there's some time that's spent by our AP team just verifying that, you know, there's nothing on our side that would indicate that the recovery that was identified by Apex isn't a legitimate recovery. But it's a really minimal investment for the return we're getting. And then in the case of myself, who's not really directly on the AP team, but is more of a global process person, I maybe spend five to ten minutes a week approving the credit memos to be entered into our system. But again, it's a pretty minimal amount of time when you look at the amount of recovery. And, you know, the other message probably most of you would find is that it's really not AP messing up, so to speak. It really, in my mind, it's those things that you don't know about, the things that you didn't know were out there. Like the example I gave of the sampling, we see it a lot in some of those prepayments, digital marketing and things like that. So that's really where that statement recovery audit comes in is that stuff you just don't know about. And, you know, I will add, and Phil had mentioned earlier, I mean, we've definitely seen a disruption to a certain extent caused by COVID, just the confusion of where are people? Are they working from home so they really don't have easy access to their AR systems? And all of us, I think, probably go through some Weeks were like, I don't know which end is up this week, and God knows if I either did something or did, did I do it twice. So I think we're all struggling that. Phil laughed, so Phil's having those kind of weeks as well. Um, I'm sure we all are. And then at the end of every audit, and I, I would say that this is something that I would say people should always expect from any third-party auditor, and Apex does it for us is you should get a comprehensive management report that shows you what were the reasons for credits that you didn't know about and that they recovered, or what were the issues that they were seeing in duplicates. And so, like on the duplicate side, when they show me examples of where were there coding and keying area errors, or where was there a duplicate invoice that maybe got overridden by one of the AP processors, I'm able to take those examples and bring them to the AP team as process improvements, or we can change kind of either update the process, change the process documentation, potentially do an additional training if there's been a lot of turnover in our AP processors and indexers. And then we also then on the credit side, you know, we'll take some of those. I'll give an example. I just had a meeting late last week with our marketing folks to talk about those digital marketing programs and sampling programs and you know, see if there's a way for us to partner together to figure out how to close that gap. I mean, I, I appreciate Apex finding those, but I would rather find them internally at General Mills before Apex finds them. You talked about the managed report. At Apex, we provide a managed report in the report. So it's the results of how well you did. And a couple points around that. The first, and if you look at 
for your last audit, like top reasons, the root cause, returns, rebates, freight credits, canceled invoice contract. You know, these are not typically root causes that AP is going to fix in a silo. You know, AP can't fix a rebate issue. AP can't fix a returns issue. And so, you know, one point around the management assessment is it's a time to really pull together a kind of a cross-functional team that says, okay, we're done with our audit, our annual audit, and here's some process gaps that we need to close. And General Mills has the opportunity to pull in AP and, and procurement and master data and internal audit, whoever is impacted by those top reasons to put in place, okay, it's not just a matter of finding it, but we need to actually fix this. And then the other piece around the management assessment is the benchmarking. I'm constantly asked, well, we were 99.98% accurate. Well, how does that compare to our peers? And so in the management assessment, certainly you could get it before, but as part of that, we do benchmarking and peer comparison. And Jeff, I'll give kudos to General Mills in your industry. You guys are in the top quartile, so great job there. But it just... Not only does it give you the reason why it happened, here's what we recommend to fix it, which, Jeff, you said it. I'd argue that's more important than actually getting the money, but also gives you an appreciation for where do we stand in relation to our peers. Super. Well, well, Jeff, I I really appreciate you you sharing your journey, your recovery audit journey, and what you all are doing at General Mills. I'm certainly following best practice. I mentioned earlier, I'm going to wrap things up with uh, a couple slides, first being some statistics. And then we're going to go into some action items. So we've talked a lot about change. There's been many events uh, over the last couple decades that have created change. I'll say two very impactful ones, first being 9-11 and the change that occurred post-9-11. I'd say the second one, probably biggest, is financial crisis in 2008 and the changes that occurred from that. Let's think about the change we're dealing with today, which is covid I think it's fair to say that COVID has topped both of those as it pertains to global impact it's had. I want to share some stats. We conducted a survey back in the summer of 2020. Probably not a a huge surprise to anyone, but just interesting statistics. Uh, The first 49%, so almost 50% of the survey respondents said they've received some sort of negative impact to working capital due to COVID-19. So 50% of those said, this COVID-19 has impacted my working capital. 70% said that their business had been significantly or very significantly affected by COVID-19 and mitigation efforts. So again, this has been a global pandemic. It's impacting businesses around the world. Just a few of the top reasons and processes that our respondents said had been disrupted the first invoice processing, again, probably not a big surprise. Supplier onboarding, I talked about that a little bit earlier, you know, really important. Bank account validation, that one's scary, and the risk of fraud and other things. A couple more, but, you know, big picture, that those are a few of the ones that were impacted the most. And, again, we took this survey mid-summer of 2020, if you look at kind of where we are today and the last couple of months, the impact of COVID, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, but I bet if, if we took a survey today, these percentages would probably be higher. So, Jeff, any thoughts on these statistics? Does it surprise you? No, it doesn't surprise me. And 
What I would say is where we've probably seen the biggest disruption is in that bank account verification. I will share, I mean, our process, we do have a portal that we have the vast majority of our bank changes are requested through this portal. But one of the things I think like probably most companies or many companies, our process does require a verbal verification back to the vendor with the vendor to make sure that that bank change is coming from a legitimate source. Our standard process has always been that we call the phone number that is in our vendor master record. Well, that's great to call a corporate office of a large supplier until everybody is working from home and nobody's answering the phone at the main office. <laughs> we have had to try to adjust our process a little bit, but definitely over the last six to nine months, looking at our portal results, I mean, we've rejected bank changes multiple times back to vendors and caused some vendor frustration of why do you keep rejecting my bank request? And we reject it back because we weren't able to verbally verify it in the COVID environment. We've kind of come up with a few workarounds to try to make the system at least a little bit more efficient without sacrificing too much that security and fraud prevention. So we do have a process where we send a note, an email back through that portal to the supplier with a phone number that they can call and a personalized six-digit number that they have to respond with when they call customer service. It's not 100% foolproof, but it's better than just always rejecting and never changing the bank number. So it's just kind of a workaround that we've kind of found that kind of satisfies that. How do you stay safe that you're not getting a fraudulent request and still trying to provide somewhat of a customer service so that the vendor actually can change their bank information, even though they're not in their office. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I'm going to wrap things up. I just talked through some statistics, and I mentioned earlier, we're going to leave you with some action items that you can take within your organization to combat COVID and the impact it has on working capital and your business processes. So three things. The first is just kind of taking that first step and acknowledging that, hey, COVID-19 is a disruptor and deciding to strategically incorporate a recovery audit in, into your process. So it admits that, hey, we definitely need to do this. It needs to be a strategic initiative. Jeff, you talked about it in one of your first slides when you talked about General Mills strategic initiatives. The second is also a decision that Jeff and team had to make, which is, Who's going to do the work? Are you going to do it internally? Or are you going to do the duplicate payment review yourself? Are you going to do the supplier statement audit yourself? Are you going to farm it out to the experts? Um, Jeff, I know that you all have taken a hybrid approach from a duplicate standpoint. And from statements, there's some due diligence that you do, but your decision in General Mills has been more of, you know, we're going to farm it out to the experts. And then the last is just making it part of your actual DNA within AP operations. And so doing these audits early and often just to ensure that, hey, we're doing everything we can to ensure that if process gaps open, that we get them closed. And maybe arguably more important based on the statistics is returning that all-important cash back to your organization. For those not familiar, I want to quickly share a little bit about Apex Analytics and the four solutions that we provide to the market. The first is our Apex recovery solution. Um, that's what Jeff and I have talked about today, and, and so we won't spend any time on that. The second solution is our first strike technology. 
I touched on that a little bit earlier as it pertains to the duplicate payment side. There's also a fraud detect module that's included within First Strike. Our third solution is our Apex portal. It's a seamless supplier onboarding portal, self-service inquiry, dynamic discounting. There's a risk module, multiple modules within that. And then our final is our smart BN database, which we're really excited about. It's the world's largest supplier database. We're fortunate we actually get to leverage that information throughout our recovery audit, First Strike, and our Apex portal. So with that, I think I will turn it over to Mark for questions. Thank you so much, gentlemen. We are now about to enter the Q&A portion of our webinar. Jeff, one of our attendees wants to know more about your percentage of invoices that are PO-based and how that's been trending. Great question. In North America, our PO rate is between 70 to 80 percent. Our invoices on a monthly basis come through as PO invoices. It has been a focus of our procurement team for probably about the last three to four years. They've been running a great marketing company we are called No PO, No Pay. (laughs) (laughs) And that program basically is that we do flag vendors in our vendor master data that a PO is required for their invoice to be processed. And so if they try to submit an invoice either through our invoicing portal or directly to AP and they don't reference a PO or a PO hasn't been issued, that invoice is going to be rejected back to that vendor. And then that vendor will need to work with their general mills business partner in order to get a PO issued. You know, it is a tough one for accounts payable customer service because it's really putting in an AP process to basically make internal General Mills employees follow the PO rules. It's a program that can be a little bit hard to get yourself around and support. I mean, it took us a little bit in AP to get comfortable with that idea, knowing that we were going to be the ones that were going to have the angry vendor reaching out saying, hey, it's not my fault that your person didn't give me a PO, but it really has over time been something that we're seeing is valuable because you really do want to have, the way I look at it is the person spending General Mills money and that money should be approved before it's spent. And so really to me, any non-PO invoice is really somebody going out and spending General Mills money potentially without it being approved before that commitment was made. So kind of got myself comfortable with the idea that we should be doing POs as much as possible. Jeff, another attendee is wondering what process changes you've put in place as a result of what you've uncovered during your recovery audits. From a process standpoint itself, we really haven't made any significant changes. So nothing that like I can sit here on the top of my head and say, oh, yeah, we changed this the day after you know, the APEX or the month after the APEX audit was, report was given to us. But we've definitely gone back, as I said earlier, we've gone back and done training and really gone back with our indexers and our AP processors to say, hey, look, here's what came out of the last audit. Be mindful. And in some cases, I think we've changed, you know, there have been like notations put in our workflow for those training manuals for those positions to call out, hey, really, this has happened before. Watch out for X, Y, and Z based on information that's come out of the Another of our attendees wants you to expand on the controls that you have in place for changing bank account data. Okay, so I will say our biggest change, and I will say that we are not using the Apex portal. We have a different portal 
um, that we use. And so the biggest change for us about three years ago was really requiring the vendor to enter the bank change in that portal. Being that we have now, you know, the vendor was given a, one person at the vendor was given initial access to that portal and they have the control to add additional users. It's just a much more secure process than getting the bank change emailed or called into an AP process. So that was kind of our first kind of change in controls over the last couple of years. We still do the phone verification once that comes in. I will say before we do the phone verification, there is some matching that is done with the uh, processing team just to make sure that the documentation that was submitted by the vendor is proper. Did they give us a canceled check? Did they give us a bank statement or something on company letterhead that supports the bank information they're giving us? There's a quick check to make sure that the bank key matches a legitimate U.S. bank or is the bank that they entered a U.S. bank. We'd be very uncomfortable if it was a foreign bank. And then, you know, they do that verbal verification to make sure that the, that the system, the portal has access has not been compromised at that vendor, which we did have one happen about a year and a half ago where the vendor, their system was compromised by a ransomware and a fraudster, and the fraudster actually created a login into the portal of their own, and we were actually communicating with the fraudster, but not with the vendor. Those are kind of our biggest safety checks that we do on business. Another attendee wants to know, over what period of time does this $2.1 million in cash recovered represent a fiscal year or a different time period? Well, like I say, it is a fiscal year for us, basically. It might even be just a one-year period is probably the better way to say it. It may not be 100% aligned with our fiscal year. We do the duplicate check that Apex does for us is really on about a six to nine month lag. So for example, our fiscal 20, which ended in May of 2020, we'll be sending that gigantic piece of data information to Phil and his team probably within the next two to four weeks. So that fiscal 20 audit's kind of done in a little bit of a lag. But then obviously the continual statement audit I mean, that's happening. We're getting every week, I'll see a few credits coming across from that part of the audit. And so that $2 million is really a 12-month window. Another one of our attendees wants to know, what percentage of recoveries are related to PO-backed spend? Oh, you know, I do not know that off the top of my head. Which I Feel free to lie, Jeff. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm all very honest. I will not make up a number. Of, you know, there is one that the person can either reach out to me later I know that Phil and his team have the information at their hands. He probably doesn't have it in front of him. That's a good cue for Phil to follow up with that attendee. Another attendee, Jeff, is wondering about how much of your issues are due to P-card purchasing, or is it too small a spend limit to really matter? Actually, our P-card process is handled outside of the AP area. So, we actually reconcile our P cards through our expense reporting side, not our AP side. We obviously pay the bank for the P card via AP, but the actual individual transactions and that reconciling is actually done through concurrent. And it's actually outside for this office. Another of our attendees asked, can Jeff dig a little bit more into what they've done to achieve that 99.982% accuracy? 
Okay. Well, I, I mean, I really think, you know, and I'm not going to take credit because there have been very few changes, if any, to our invoice audit rules, like our business rules that run in SAP really haven't changed since I've been enrolled. So I'm not going to take credit for the 99 points. But I want to just say is I think that it's really just as you're going through time and you're seeing issues arise, and that's where, again, I think sometimes the audit can help or even internally you know, identify those. It's really just building those SAP business rules over time and really making sure that you have IT support to get those rules into the system. I know even on our side sometimes we'll – find a business rule that we don't think is working or want to put a new one in, and it can be a little hard to get the resources to get the business rule into SAP. But to the extent that you identify a problem and can get that business rule created, it's really just building that business rule base over time. That's something that I think I could say, test this, this, and this, and you're going to be at 99.8 tomorrow. What piece of advice would you give to the folks listening in today if they want to try and, and achieve 99.982% payment accuracy? What's the single biggest step they need to take? We hear this often. And so coming off a, a management assessment report, we'll ask about, boy, what, what do you contribute to your success? Certainly there are systems and processes, but you know, if I boil it down to something very simple that I doubt anyone would argue with, which is having training in place, having some sort of backup processes, contingency, ensuring that the processes within AP are documented. This whole webinar talked about change, and one of the big changes is personnel. And so someone moves on to a new position or things are outsourced. If the processes aren't documented and if you don't have redundancy in the position, you know, I move on to a new position and, you know, Mark, you step into my role. Having that role documented, ensuring that there's cross-training, ensuring that there's checks and balances in place, for me, based off what I hear, you know, working with the world's largest companies, it's that piece. Again, it's not overly complex or state-of-the-art. It's just the basics. That would be my recommendation on top of certainly having the right systems and controls in place. Jeff, another attendee is wondering whether General Mills uses an invoice automation solution. We do use a third-party portal. So at this point, when you look at our invoices, probably about 40 to 45% of our invoices are auto-generated by SAP. They're either third-party co-packers that we pay on production, so the invoice is auto-generated by the receipt of the goods in SAP, and it's also some of and same on our warehouses. Then there's probably our really large direct material suppliers are on EDI, and it's EDI through General Mills. Then there's a group of about five to six large indirect suppliers who we have running through EDI provided by our e-invoicing portal supplier. And then another 13% or so of invoices are done through that portal. So when we really get down to the invoices that are being indexed and hand-entered by our AP department, we are down to probably around 7 to 12%, somewhere in there on a monthly basis, are being hand-entered by an AP process. Phil, one of our attendees is wondering, how does this work with cloud-based services? We're in the process of switching to Oracle SaaS. We have pre-written extracts that we provide our clients that, that work in both SAP, Oracle, other major ERPs. 
that allow basically minimal to no involvement from our client's IT organization. So we provide these certified scripts. They pull the minimal data that we need to conduct the audit. So whether you know, the, the ERP is housing it in a cloud or they have it behind their firewall, it, it doesn't matter. Phil, another one of our attendees is wondering, what is the name of the statement review portion of the Apex application? I assume that question is, is asking about our audit view, which is our online claim collaboration tool. That's what we use to collaborate with our clients to give them transparency into you know, where we are within the audit, what we've found, what we have left, root causes. It's just a comprehensive review. It's where they go to receive all the recoveries that we've identified. And that's, again, called audit view. Jeff, one of our attendees is asking you to expand on the internal controls you have in place for your first level of audit for duplicates. So as they first said, we do they go, you know, every invoice is going to go through the business rules when it's indexed in SAP. If there's anything in that review that is out of line, it'll go to AP as a, an exception in SAP and an exception handler will review whatever exception popped out. So if it was a suspected duplicate or any other reason why it thought that the invoice should be processed, if that processor then approves or, you know, overrides the duplicate check. It really is, and I'm going to unfortunately don't have the expert on our team who's could lay out all the different checks he does in his macro, but basically part of our team in India, our AP team, has just created a macro that kind of duplicates a lot of the checks that First Strike does. It just does it in a Excel macro form. I'm not going to insult Phil and his team and say that it does all the checks and can do everything that First Strike does. I will freely admit that I'm, I'm sure it does. I know it doesn't. But it tries to get at those kind of the next level of stuff that you couldn't put in a business rule in SAP. Again, just doing a second check to say, do we have the same invoice with the same vendor? You know, an invoice number that's close, like everything matches, but it's got one or two different characters at the end. Do we have an invoice date that's the same for the same amount with the same vendor? Is there the same invoice amount with the same PO? Potentially, you know, just some of those simple checks that make you say, hey, maybe I should take one more look at this invoice before it goes up. Jeff, another attendee is wondering how often you request statements from vendors and what percentage of vendors do you actually receive statements back from? I hope maybe Phil has the exact number, but generally, we have about somewhere around ten to 12,000 vendors I think they're sending them out to. We get about 8,000 statements back is what Apex gets. General Mills, we at this point, we do not request statements anymore. We kind of use the third-party audit as that statement recovery. So their response has been actually pretty high, especially among our larger suppliers. I've been really pleased with the percent that are returned. Yeah, and so you know, our our goal is to achieve a, a ninety five plus percent response rate, and I'd say you know ninety eight percent of the time we achieve that. Uh, in complete transparency, there are some where we fall a little short, but our goal is to achieve ninety five plus percent response rate from suppliers. Phil, one of our attendees writes: We also pay invoices with P cards. Our P card system does not interface with. Oracle, presumably their ERP. We often double pay invoices by nightmare, the person writes. So when the same invoice goes through AP, there's nothing to prevent it from being paid again. 
How would you recommend that we get the data we need to show management that this process is not working? Phil, put on yeah, your so, that. Yeah, so we have the ability in First Strike to actually load in PCAR data. We do recommend level two PCAR data. So there's there's three levels of PCAR data. Level one just doesn't provide enough detail. Level three is sometimes hard to get from the bank. So with level two detail, we can load it into First Strike and do a comparison against PCAR transactions and your ERP transactions, regardless of Oracle SAP. So but by nature, not having an invoice number, you know, your traditional checks just wouldn't identify that. And so we have algorithms that we can bounce those PCAR transactions against your ERP. One other thing that they may want to consider if their PCARD supplier offers it, we only use PCARDs for those kind of expenditures or from companies that don't invoice. And for vendors that will provide an invoice or are invoicing us through our AP system, those who are we're going to pay through credit card, we actually use the virtual card, the V card instead of a P card, in which case then the minute you enter that invoice and it's approved, really in our next payment run, it's paid to the vendor through that virtual card by the credit card company, in which case you get the same benefit potentially of an extended term or whatever rebate you may have negotiated with your P-card vendor. They should provide that for you on the V-card as well, and that way you can leverage that rebate and then still get the supplier paid, but ideally avoid that duplicate where the invoice was paid, it was entered in AP, paid by the P-card, but you're not aware in AP, and then you pay it by check. Jeff, I've got 30 seconds here. The biggest lesson learned you want to share with the folks listening in today? It would be to recognize the fact that there's a lot of money out there in credits that you don't know about. Phil, question to you. Most important piece of recommendation you want to give to the folks today? Start now and do it often. I mean, Jeff's point's accurate. You can always say, we're busy, we're busy, we're busy. In Jeff's case, he's 99.9% accurate and was still able to deliver over $2 million back to his organization on an annual basis. Jeff, Phil, thank you so much for an excellent presentation today and for sharing your insights with us. And thank you all for joining us.